If you had have asked me a few months back what episode nine of the Ohm at Home podcast would entail, I would have said probably something around the conversation of the chakras, the psychology of the chakras, what the chakras are, or anything at all like that. However, what I'm learning from this podcasting experience is that what started out with the intention of uh, batch recording and producing episodes and then scheduled releases is more of now a weekly reflection and dissertation of sorts as to the real life events and how literally yoga can and does trickle into every moment of every day. As I said in the previous episode, yoga is a practice of fully engaging in the right here, the right now. Well, right here, right now, I am sitting in my car uh, waiting for my son while he finishes his piano lesson. And it's pouring outside, so I'm nestled under a tree with a little pitter-patter here and there of raindrops falling on my car. Today, I want to do a little bit something different with this podcast. In the past, I've recorded um, word for word um, a script that I've written. Although today, I'm going to try something different and just kind of go with the flow of my thoughts and the words and talk about yoga as a profession, becoming a yoga teacher, yoga as a business, and the entrepreneurial potential that can go with it. I'm Michelle Robinson, entrepreneur, yoga teacher, Ayurveda consultant, and life student, and your host of this podcast, Ohm at Home. honest, it has been rather challenging to wrap my head around this next episode. I started to jot down some thoughts about the business of yoga and everything just seemed to be really heavy and depressing and just really filled with sorrow fitting because just a few weeks ago uh, from this recording, I had to make a gut-wrenching decision to close my existing brick-and-mortar space. The decision it was heartbreaking, um, but it was the right one. Um, I poured my heart and my soul into those four walls for over three years, and I just simply couldn't meet the required demands to keep the facility open. I had opened the space seven and a half months prior to the pandemic, and well, we all know what happened in March of 2020. Um, business endeavors are tough, and the business of yoga is certainly not excluded from that in any way, shape, or form. Whether you embark on a solopreneur gig and teach on your own or teach in a studio or decide, of course, to open your own, the bottom line is, is that if you aren't generating the necessary income you need in order to cover your costs, then you've got to look to cut things out, make cutbacks, and, you know, in my case, have to close up your business. Really, it's kind of your only options. Of course, there's always the option to kind of pivot and adapt new ways of doing business, but 
that's not always accessible uh, or appropriate or even possible given certain business models. Um, personally, I am not necessarily that fond of the virtual practice or the virtual offering for a variety of reasons, but I'll touch on that in a few minutes here. But regardless, the pandemic is a real example of how you know businesses and how we uh, personally um, have to look at adopting new ways of living and learning and consuming and working. I've been earning an income in the health and wellness industry since the mid-90s. First, as a bit of an energy exchanger, if we can call it that, in my teens. And that's when I was assisting my then dance teachers with junior dance students each Saturday mornings. Although it was a cashless job, um, it certainly made my own lessons more affordable. Not to mention, it really and truly instilled this knowing of how I wanted to live my life and what I wanted to quote-unquote do with my life. Um, That kind of um, assisted dance teaching uh, led me into pursuing a career in fitness and I became a fitness instructor after college and a mindful movement teacher and then of course started to lead classes at a local gym. That then led me into managing an entire facility and then all the duties that go, kind of go with that. And I was even fortunate enough to be trained by a national organization to then become a regional trainer of trainers. So I got to teach people to become fitness instructors and personal trainers. Anyways, it wasn't until 2009 that I became a business owner. Um, and that's when I purchased my first yoga studio. It, it was a franchise model which really kind of, I felt at the time, best suited my infancy in the business ownership world. Um, I can even then, though, remember vividly how scared I was after signing that agreement. Now I had the full responsibility of all of the stuff that goes with owning a business operation. Um, You know, I didn't know about business. My post-secondary education was in performing arts, which... I certainly am very grateful for. I gained experience in, you know, speaking, um, intonation, presentation, you know, and just even being able to stand in front of a crowd and deliver a message of sorts. Um, I did earn, you know, a beautiful living um, while in that uh, first business of mine, but the franchise model, um, it, it, I outgrew it, or maybe maybe the better thought is, is we outgrew each other. Uh, after a few years, I realized that uh, there were the, there were quite a few limitations um, as a yoga teacher in a franchise system, and that in order for me to continue to grow both personally and professionally, I needed to um, get myself out of that um, business model. Anyways, I digress. Making a living in with the teaching yoga, it's not easy. It's rewarding 100%. Yes, absolutely. There is no question. I absolutely love teaching yoga. There's nothing that lights me up more. Uh, and I really and truly feel that it is what I've meant to do. Is it lucrative? Well, not always. <laughs> Certainly, there are ways to make money absolutely in this industry. 
Um, every year as part of the teacher training program I facilitate, we, as one of the competencies that we cover, uh, we talk about the business of yoga. And ultimately, in a nutshell, you have a few options. One, you can work for yourself and you can market and brand yourself as a yoga teacher and look to get clientele and then offer weekly classes, find a space, maybe even open your own studio and ultimately create your brand. Or, of course, you can work for other facilities, studios or businesses and kind of work under their business model. Regardless, the business of yoga is really and truly all about you. You You need to be able to sell you and your practices, your understandings of yoga. You have to be truthful and show up. Uh, as you are, and remain respectful of how you showing up impacts and potentially influences others. That means that no matter how messy your day has been, how tired or overwhelmed you are feeling, you show up and you do the work. I've had many a days where I lacked the motivation to be at the front of the room, and yet that's exactly what yoga is all about. I talked about that in the last few episodes of this podcast that yoga is about the now. Being in the business of yoga is dedicating your every action to the teachings and practices that you yourself are working to integrate into your life. I've said it before and I will say it over and over and over again that yoga is so much more than postures on a two by six foot piece of rubber. And teaching yoga is no different. Now, my only experience in the business of yoga is, of course, what I've done, what I've been through, and the plans for what I have to go for. I don't know if they're going to work or not, but the only offering I can give you is to, to teach yoga and to earn a living in this industry, in this business, is you have to find the ways in which you can support and honor yourself and your practices. Teaching yoga is a gift and you have to determine, you have to create that gift. You have to then not only create it, but then you have to deliver it and find the places you want to deliver it. So this means you have to refine your own practice. The number one thing you need to do as a yoga teacher is practice. I say this all the time to my fellow uh, students, uh, teacher students, and of course, students in training to be teachers that you have to know what you know, and then deliver that. So there's no sense in trying, for example, to teach a headstand, if you are not comfortable trying to do headstand, or you're fearful of that, you can certainly talk about the fear in that and invite others to practice in their own way. But If you've got apprehension about a topic or a posture when it comes to this yoga um, tradition and method, then teaching it authentically is not going to resonate unless you have it in your own body and the understanding of that. So refining your practice, practicing your practice is the best way that I can explain how you go about becoming a teacher and earning a living in this business. You know, determine what you want to teach, why you want to teach. And of course, then you start to look at where. The virtual platforms, yes, it's out there. Um, You know, how I feel about this virtual platform versus in person. 
I love the in-person experience because I get, there's a sense of connection. And in every class that I lead when others are there with me in the space, it's a reciprocal gift. Although I very well may be delivering the content um, and the experience to the room, because of the energetics and the the overall sense, the feel, the vibe of the space, it's it fills me up. Um, and many people have asked me in the past, you know, you teach 10, 12, 14 classes a week, don't you get tired? And I think this is key to any and all yoga teachers or anybody really and truly is that if what you're doing for a living drains you, then it's not right, right? It needs to be an energetic exchange. And teaching in person is very much that energetic exchange potential. Um, Not to mention, it's hard to offer modifications um, to individuals on a screen if 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 you can't even see them. Whereas in a setting, uh, in a studio and in-person classes, you can really support the group, but the individuals in the group by offering, um, you know, a, a more precise modification or, you know, invitation for a posture or an experience um, that the whole room can feel as compared to if you're, of course, working with a virtual screen. You know, the virtual platform certainly has its time and place, and it has been so beneficial for so many over the course of the last two and a half years of this pandemic. Um, And it definitely serves a purpose. You know, there's the flexibility of being able to do your practice when and where it fits into your day instead of having to get to a specific place at a specific time and then potentially not even practicing if you can't do that. But then, of course, there's the challenge of the home practice. And this is something that many of my students have shared with me time and time again is that At home, there's so many distractions. I'm sure you've had many uh, downward-facing dogs or a child pose or even lying on your back in Shavasana and you turn your head to the side and you're looking under the couch. And, you know, for me, there's always a dog toy or um, a graham cracker wrapper or crumbs or something like that. And so all of a sudden, what was and is a practice of mindfulness and turning inward is now a distracted, outward-looking kind of practice. Not to mention people find, you know, their home practice sometimes rather hard to commit to because, well, there's so many other things to do, let alone just unroll your mat. And then, you know, if you do have dogs, children, partners, family, well, you got to ask them to be quiet and or go away if you're, you really don't have kind of a designated space, which again is, I certainly am really called to more of a space and community-driven in-person practice per se. Now, that's not to say that the virtual platform is not in the cards uh, in, in my future. It will 100% be something that I work to integrate into my regular offerings But there's also, of course, options like retreats. And as an individual grows to become a more mature and senior teacher, then you have the potential to even become a master trainer where you create content and programming that become accredited for individuals to then learn from you to get accreditation for their own training. Regardless of all of this, the key to becoming and working in the yoga industry, in my opinion, is this notion and idea of authenticity. If you 
are not showing up truthfully for yourself and as yourself, then how can you show up and serve others? You know, there's that saying, always give from the overflow of your well and not from its depths. And I think that as a yoga teacher, it is of utmost importance to uphold that personal, dedicated practice so that you feel full. And then from your fullness, you give into others. Hmm. I think that's, that's about it. You know, as I move through these next few weeks of my kind of pivot in business ownership and my professional yoga teaching practice, um, I invite you to drop me a line or send me an email or shoot me a direct message on the social media streams. I'd love to hear about how you'd like to continue to work with me both from afar and potentially in person as we navigate, as I navigate, the shifts and changes that have come about. I hope someday soon we will be able to once again unroll our yoga mats and practice in the same space together. <laughs>